Hello, hello. My name is April Malone, and I am with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Matthew Stubblefield with me. Thank you for coming, Matthew. Hey, nice to see you, April. Yeah, so I have a few things about Matthew. I'll just go ahead and, and introduce you. So Matthew is the head of education at Adaptivist, uh, the large Alassian services provider worldwide. He oversees the development and training and product documentation and leads a team of 10 people. Uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and keep going with this. Tell us what you do, Matthew. Okay. So even though the software we work with is used by more than half of the Fortune 500, uh, probably more than half the Fortune 1000, it's still something that's not a lot of people know it's not a household name so there's this company in australia named atlassian they make software that when they started out was for software developers but now a lot of different people are using it and adaptivist is the largest atlassian services provider worldwide so we do consulting we do hosting we do licensing uh, training which is what i do we do custom development uh, and have a number of plugins for atlassian software that extend their functionality so I also oversee the, the documentation for those, those add-ons. Um, and then we're starting to branch out past it at Lassie. so as head of education, um, training, product documentation, anything that really helps users know how to use our products better, that's, that's what I do. Right. And <laughs> I, I want to just lead in with this because uh, the other day we were, uh, I, I posted a picture of um, me recording something and you mentioned something about a boom mic. And I'm like, why the heck does Matthew have a boom mic? Um, <laughs> do you use that for your online meetings or what? And then I found out you have a podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, got a boom arm a few years ago because the guy I was doing the podcast with had one and said it was very helpful and it helps, you know, kind of eliminate any sort of weird sounds you get. And it's, it's fun in particular because I do a lot of client calls or I'm talking with different people and they always compliment on my audio and the, the sound that I have here. I've just started using it for everything. So whenever I'm on Zoom on calls with people, uh, we do a, a podcast every other week, which uh, people can find at adaptivist.com slash podcasts, though only of interest to you if you use Atlassian products. It's, it's the Atlassian ecosystem podcast. We talk about release notes and updates to the software every two weeks. Um, otherwise you probably don't care. Uh, and then I use it for online gaming. So I am using this mic, you know, sometimes, uh, 10 hours a day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm quite fond of it. It's been, it's been a very, like very nice quality of life upgrade, uh, for me in my meetings. It's nice to always have clear audio for the, the people that I'm talking to. I won't lie. I'm a little jealous because <laughs> I'll just say this. Uh, when I went ahead and purchased my microphone, I walked into a Best Buy. This is so embarrassing. This is I'll just, I'll just say it, though. And I talked to the guy extensively and he was like, oh, I highly recommend the Blue Yeti. And mm -hmm. as soon as I bought it, I was reading all of the reviews about it and everyone's like, don't buy it. And I was like, oh, no, I've already purchased it. And I let it sit in a box long enough yeah. before I started That's using it one. that it's it's way past it's like I can't return it so I'm just stuck with this until I'm ready to upgrade but no um, no no I mean that's that's a that's a fine mic I mean the the key is do you want something that picks up the whole room or something that picks up directly in front and right yeah that, it does have like the settings yeah, um so good. you can you can adjust it for one person and I received mm -hmm. advice from someone who uh, would know better he used a um a yeti for a long time 
uh, Justin James, and he just said on a Blue Yeti, you just have to turn the game like way down, like way off. Yeah. Otherwise, it picks up all that like reverberating sounds from the room. So, um, but yeah, I am a little jealous. And I, I mean, it's like front and center here. Everyone can see it. If you're watching the video of the podcast, it's like right in my face, but I'm just going to get over it and keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. So let's chat a little bit about how we know each other. Let's 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 take it to the personal level here. We sure. we knew each other back in Springfield, Missouri, and that's where you still are, right? Yes, yeah. So I'm in Springfield, which is right in the middle of the country, uh, Missouri, in the United States. And my wife and I bought a house in um, sort of central North Springfield, and we decided to check out this church that was kind of in walking distance, and met April, who it turns out lives in the lived in the same neighborhood like i don't know three blocks from us it or was something. five it was five blocks to the church and probably um maybe six or seven to yours but um we it were in the close, same like yeah. in the same neighborhood and we both like showed up to the meetings and stuff like that trying to be include um active in the community <laughs> and april was um, always very kind to invite us over to her house for fire pits and movie nights and dinners and and so yeah uh we 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 don't live in that neighborhood anymore, but we do miss living near you. So Matthew and his wife ended up coming to our church and they're still there. And his wife is also named April. So if that doesn't mm-hmm. get confusing. Um, and what was funny <laughs> is that some of the things that I was helping like lead um, kind of in charge of when um, when I left and moved away, uh, when my husband had to go to grad school somewhere else, April took over some of the same things that I was doing, playing the keyboard and helping mm-hmm. organize like the Saturday night meals at dinner at six or whatever we called it yep yep yeah so um april was just still in charge um and now you guys have a little one you want to talk about your family yeah so our baby boy simon he uh so we are recording this i know it will go out later it's september 23rd he turns two years old in six days uh, which is very exciting um so yep simon is almost too full toddler mode, tons of energy, language explosion. It's it's delightful and fun. And because I work from home, uh, he occasionally joins my meetings and hangs out with my coworkers. And that's always a good time. And then we have our second child on the way and he will Yay. be born beginning of November, uh, hopefully. So that's, that's very exciting. Um, so yeah, I'll be taking some time off the end of the year. But uh, yeah, we'll have our have our second here soon. So September is a big birthday month in our family as well. John and I both have birthdays, and I think you just had one as well. So Yep, mine was last week. Yep. I think it's one of the most popular birthday months for everybody, at least in the U.S. So mm-hmm. um, so w- let's go back and talk about your company. Like, what, what will you do when you have your baby? You said you're taking time off. Is that a benefit that you get, or are you scheduling Yeah, that? so I am just tremendously blessed, and like it's very exciting working for Adaptivists. So... Adaptus is a company I, I knew about back in the day. I used to work at Missouri State University here in Springfield. I worked in higher education for a bit over a decade. That was a pretty traditional go into the office eight to five. You had to be there. Um, if there was more work to do, you did it after hours. Didn't matter. And did they how let many you work from you home? <laughs> uh, officially, no. It was a, like officially, it was not allowed to work from home. And yet, when I had to do a server upgrade between midnight and 6 a.m., I was doing that from home. If the university was closed because of inclement weather, I mean, I still had to process payroll for my employees. I still had to, you know, make sure servers were running. I, I worked in computer services and Atlassian tools were 
part of what I did there, uh, running those servers, but I also managed facilities. I had about 50 employees under me and, um, so, so question, I, I, yeah. <laughs> if they expected you to not work from home and you had to just for upgrades from midnight to 6 a.m., were they expecting you to like drive in and sit there? Oh, in no, the middle of the no, night? no, no. It was totally known that I was working from home, but officially I was not allowed to. Um, oh. Because here's the thing, when you're when you are officially facilitating work from home as a as a sort of a traditional employer, you have all kinds of things around workers compensation and other things that you have to take into account. So like I'm working from home right now during work hours. If I trip over my ottoman and break my leg, workers compensation comes into effect. If I was at the university on campus and I trip and break my leg, workers compensation comes into effect. But if they don't officially allow work from home and you're doing work and you hurt yourself, they don't mm. have to pay for anything for that. So there's a bunch of laws that go into, you know, sort of managing this. And so, yeah, at the, at the university, I wasn't officially allowed to work from home, but I um, did that. You know, I was there for a bit over a decade total, uh, part time and full time, came to Adaptivist in 2014. And Adaptivist is actually based out of the United Kingdom. And so even though I live here in Springfield, Missouri, uh, the, and you mentioned the, Australia. Well, so Atlassian w was founded in Australia. Um, uh, Adaptivist was found out of the UK. And so our, our benefits at Adaptivist are, are much more similar to United Kingdom, you know, European benefits. So we get lots of time off. We get maternity and paternity leave. Um, we, uh, uh um, PTO, you know, do you accrue PTO? How does that work? Uh, I, at Adaptivist, no, actually we have unlimited leave. So, uh, we just take off time. Um, there's, there's no like within reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I like for my employees, I tell them, um, I typically recommend they take at least 30 days off per year of holiday. Um, I recommend at least two weeks contiguous, preferably twice a year. If they want to go to three weeks contiguous, that's fine. Once it starts hitting four, eh, we kind of got to talk about that. If they're going to take a solid month or five weeks off, it's kind of, you know, it's pushing it a little bit, but it's, it's really about, are you delivering? Is the work getting done? Are things taken care of? Do we have, um, sufficient coverage if they need to take off, which we always, you know, we make sure we do. So like, as long as that's the case, it's fine. And and so I've been at the company for, um, in just a couple of weeks, so I've been six years, um, our paternity leave, it is a little weird since we have unlimited leave, but also paternity leave, but like, um, it does scale up the longer you're with the company. So I actually get 40 days off of paternity wow, leave. That's, that's just awesome. separate from holiday stuff. And it was really, really nice when I emailed HR and said, Hey, having our second baby and we expect the due date to be this day in November. And it was just like that. I looked in the HR system and they'd already blocked off eight weeks. Like I didn't have to do anything else. It was just like, yep. It's like leading into gone. the holidays and everything. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say the downside is it means that you've got to be really disciplined about taking time off. Like mm -hmm. if you have unlimited leave, there's always, there's always work to do, right? There's an unlimited amount of work. And so, um, one of my jobs as a manager is to make sure people take time off so they don't burn out. It means I have to, mm -hmm. I've really struggled with that this year. I've had a lot of extra projects. It's, it's hard to, um, kind of excuse myself and to leave. Um, it's like the policy can almost be abused in both directions. Yeah. Like, like not enough time off or too much. Yeah. So we try to kind of set minimums and I've, I've 
in the past, I've had to tell employees, like, we're not assigning you more work until you take vacation. Like, you, wow. you need to, like, get some space. And it's not necessarily, it's not like the work stuff or anything like that. But I just, you know, this is a, a mental kind of creative type of work. Any type of technology work, anything where we're, you know, it's not physical labor, right? Um, I think almost every type of work takes some creativity to it. But especially what what we do at Adaptivist and what my employees are doing, whether they're technical writers or they're instructional designers or they're graphic designers, like that takes mental energy that gets depleted the longer we work. You've got to recharge. You've got to get yeah. away. So not just like your daily breaks, but like your yearly, you know, you need a longer. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get some space. Okay, let's talk about what kind of role were you in when you first started at Adaptivist? Mm. Uh, how did you get persuaded? Like. What what made you leave the? I, I, can you say it? <laughs> Why did yeah. you want to leave? Um, Why did I leave the university? New, that new... was real easy. Um, so uh, adaptivists, I had I'd known about them um, while I was working at the university because I was running the Atlassian systems and they made some really cool plugins and I'd I'd read some about them. A recruiter found me on LinkedIn. Adaptivist was expanding into North America. Seventy uh, percent of their revenue at the time was out of North America, but all of their staff were in England and Europe. Uh, so time zone challenges were, were happening more and more. So they were just trying to recruit people with sort of a geographic dispersal across North America. And I was found in the Midwest because I'd listed on LinkedIn. I worked with Atlassian with, with Jira and Confluence specifically. So I was recruited as a consultant. Um, I really wanted to be a project manager. That was, I actually had sort of started looking for a new job from the university um, so I'd been polishing up my LinkedIn a little bit and, and looking around. And, and the part of my job I loved was project management. It was a relatively small portion of my job. I had been working anywhere between 60 and 80 hours a week for a while, um, just really getting burnt out. I had mm. gone to my boss at the university and said, I need 40 hours a week. And he said, no. And I said, okay, well, Goodbye. With respect, I got to go find something else. I mean, I was just, I was burning out. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I had been looking a little bit, but a, a recruiter found me on LinkedIn, um, connected with me with Adaptivist and I was hired as a consultant, but because of my background and experience, I mostly consulted with project management organizations. So I was helping now, had them. You already, mm-hmm. Had you already studied product, project management at that time? Um, I, I had started, yeah, when I, when I realized that was what I really enjoyed about my job, I decided to start working on a master's degree in project management and, uh, Missouri state university had a program in that. So one of my benefits there was, uh, free classes. Um, I could only take two a semester, but so I, I started on my master's with, with, uh, six credit hours a semester, 12 total a year, um, working on my master's in project management. Um, I, I think this is pretty typical at most tech companies. They don't really care about your degree or education. Um, you know, when, when I was interviewing adaptivists, they didn't care about my, my master's degree. They, they wanted to make sure that like, if it was a thing I cared about that working for adaptivists wasn't going to interrupt me on that, uh, which I thought was very kind, uh, for them to care about that, but they cared about the outcomes. They cared about what was in my portfolio, what I had accomplished, what I was doing, um, so yeah, I, I joined Adapt as a consultant and my first gig was working with a, a PMO at a multinational auditing and accounting firm that was doing a pilot of Atlassian. And so because they're multinational, a lot of their employees were also working remotely. They have very large offices in many countries, um, 
but a lot of people were were remote and their pilot group to determine if the Atlassian tools would work for them was about 20,000 people. And so I was helping their PMO get a handle on this giant pilot project to um, roll out across North America, EMEA, APAC. Uh, to, to had, there already, had there already been employees hired um, across the US or were you like one of the first? I think I was number four in the in North America, um, and uh, number or no, maybe I was number six. It was pretty small back then. Adaptivist was pretty small back then. There were only maybe forty people total in the company uh, worldwide when I joined. Oh, but you said they have large buildings now or large offices now. So Adaptivist says. So I was talking about my my first client, oh, okay. that multinational auditing accounting firm. They were all over the place. They were remote. Adaptivist, like 40 people when I joined the company. Um, it was, it I was, see. and that was like, at that point felt large. Like they had grown a lot. Um, you know, it was created by three people and then had just sort of grown. And so when I joined, you know, we were up to about 40. Uh, we now have, I want to say around 350 worldwide. Mm-hmm. I think we're operating in seven or eight different countries at Adaptivist. Uh, when you were hired um, and you were one of six across the USA, did they even have an office or was no. everyone expected to work from home? Everybody worked from home. Um, we had a guy in Toronto, me in Springfield, um, two people in the Chicago area, um, though they lived in very different parts of Chicago. We did, uh, I think our first office in North America was in Chicago. It was this tiny like broom closet of a place we were renting that was crazy expensive I only visited it once and it was when we were getting ready to exit that office because we were just spending all this money and nobody went to it because like it took an hour <laughs> to, to get there, you know, to get in the center of Chicago. Um, so yeah, we, we mostly work remote. We do have an office in Springfield now. Um, we're actually up to, I want to say 13 or 14 employees in Springfield. Uh, and so we've got this really nice office downtown that we all really enjoyed going to and haven't been in since March. Mm-hmm. So we're looking forward to, I mean, at this point it might be, it's probably gonna be next year um, before we're back in the office regularly, but it's nice to see each other and have lunch together and, and do some brainstorming and things like that in person. How often were you going in? I would typically go in, I try to go in once a week, maybe twice. Um, it's hard for me because my teams are also distributed um, across the world. So I spend most of my day on Zoom and it it didn't make sense to go to an office and then just be on Zoom. Like I had to lock myself into a private conference room and not see anybody in person or otherwise I'd be bothering them. So um, often Wednesdays are kind of lighter days for me in terms of meetings. And so I'd go to the office on Wednesday, work with some people in person, just take one or two calls. Uh, We'd all have lunch together on Wednesdays, play board games together. And so it was just sort of a nice connection time. Um, Now I go to the office once a week on Thursdays to water the plants and pick up the mail. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that's the only office like connection we've got. Are you the office manager? Why are you in charge of the mail and the plants? Uh, we don't have an <laughs> office manager. And as both the most senior person in the Springfield area and one of the most senior people in the U S there's technically a guy who's been at the company two months longer than me. Um, but, uh, I like, I have the only company credit card for the United States. I Springfield's the headquarters, so checks get mailed here and have to be scanned and deposited and wow. other like official documents that have to be signed for the US um when they require signature by a US citizen. I'm the one who signs them because uh, cuz I'm here. Um 
<laughs> was that part of your job description? <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's just something that's grown up over time. I mean, similarly, we've got a big swag, uh, swag closet in Springfield of t-shirts and things. And I got stuck with shipping things around the country when we need be for swag. Um, because that's the other fun thing about being, uh, in management is you are defined as overhead. So like the software programmers, they're doing very important things. The, the accounts people, they're making sure that our customers take care of, I'm a manager. So I'll, you know, my, my time's water very the flexible. Plants. I can, I can water the plants <laughs> and I could ship t-shirts, um, and also develop our strategy for the next 18 months across the entire product portfolio and make sure that everything's getting done appropriately. You were saying that when you were at the university, you were working 60, 80 hour weeks. What about mm -hmm. now? How many hours a week would you say you are working right now as a manager with all these extra mm -hmm. hats that you're wearing? Yeah. Yeah. 40. Um, it's, it was something I was really uh, specific and clear on when I joined Adaptivist of um, it, the university was just so toxic and I decided I wasn't going to work someplace like that again. No more than 40 hours drawing a hard line. And I also made a decision when I joined Adaptivist that I was going to treat it like, I don't know if this sentence will make sense, but I, I decided to treat it like a place I want to work. So for instance, um, one of the first things I did, I, I got involved with a project without being invited. I just saw a thing that needed done and I just started working on it. And I thought to myself, somebody might not want me to do this. There might be some territorialism. They might, you know, they, they might be upset that I'm just jumping in here. It was completely the opposite. Like a few days in, the CIO sent me a message and I was like, oh, here it comes. And he was like, hey, I saw you got involved in this. That's fantastic. Uh, let me fill in a few gaps and we'd you know, really appreciate you, you contributing on this project. And I've just decided, you know, that's the type of place I want to work. I want to make adaptives like that. I'm just going to assume it's like that. And I decided back then if it wasn't, I would leave. So I tell my employees, work about 40 hours a week, no more than 40 hours a week, make your meetings. Other than that, I don't care what hours or days you work. Um, if you want to work in the middle of the night, if that's what works best for you, if you want to, you know, take off Monday and Tuesday, as, as long as like you're meeting with your stakeholders, you're delivering, you know, what you need to deliver. Uh, and the, the work looks different. Yesterday afternoon, part of my work day was taking a two hour walk, which sounds like, oh, I'm just blowing this off. But like I had a really challenging problem I was trying to work through and figure out the next step. Sometimes I've got to move to do that. Sometimes I'm listening to music really loud and banging on the keyboard for hours on end, sometimes in meetings for six hours. So you, you know, uh, sometimes you've got to step away for a bit and take two hours off and then come back to work. I think that flexibility is really important. So I know a few people now who work for your company, hmm. um, <laughs> because of our mutual friends. And so you've recruited some of these people, um, yeah. in the Springfield area, at least. Well, um, and it just sounds like a wonderful place. They've even tried to recruit me a few times. It sounds like a great place to work. Yeah. And, and one of the benefits of coming from the university was we'd been using Atlassian software for a while. So I had a pool of people who I knew were experienced and knowledgeable. So yeah, I've recruited some of them and then some other, um, other, other people around and, uh, it's, it's grown nice. We also had an internship program for a while, um, and, and recruited out of that. Springfield just has a really good I mean, with the universities here and um, I don't know, the, the work ethic, it's just been a really good place to hire out of. We wanted to stay there permanently. 
uh, when John and I started having a family, we wanted that to be where we were going to raise our children. We wanted to be close to all of you and the, I won't lie, um, Silver, Silver Dollar City. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, like that, all of it, we just loved it so much. The community that we had, the cost of living was amazing. Um, but they just didn't have a job for my husband yeah. there. So we had yeah. to leave. But um, my heart is still there. I won't lie. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk about your family again a little mm-hmm. bit. How does that work for you having a baby in the house? Like, who's who's watching the baby? Yeah, so April is. And family with adaptive is interesting. Um, I, I like to tell a bit of the, the history and the story of it. Because when I joined the company, you know, I was having to travel some for work. And actually, before I joined, they they weren't clear on how much travel would be involved. Hmm. Um, it started off with like, ah, oh, you know, no more than 20%. Well, maybe 50%. And I was like, wow, 50%. That's that's a lot. And I, I talked to my wife, April, and she went, I mean, I'll probably still see you more than I do now, given how many hours I was working. I was like, that's a fair point. Right? You know, if, mm-hmm. if you leave on Monday and you come back Friday and you don't have to work over the weekend, that would be more than she was seeing me. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I accepted the job, was traveling some, and April would actually come with me on some of the work trips. So a lot of our oh. uh, pictures that we have from those early years, like, April's an honorary adaptivistian and she's there at the pub with us or having dinner. And that was just a lot of fun. I, I remember one trip in particular at London, I was working for this company in California. So I was having to work late while in, while in London and April would, you know, do some stuff during the day. She'd show up at the office at like four or five, uh, in late afternoon, she'd go to the pub with my coworkers. I would keep working till seven and eventually join them. Um, <laughs> and so like, we really we used to have much more of this sort of family aspect. Now we're over three hundred people. You, it's it's different. Um, but early on, she was kind of part of that, and she's been part of the company. And so now that we we have a kid, um, she's a stay at home mom. Uh, she you know both takes care of our son, and teaches him a lot, and is really active with him, which is awesome. Um, and because of the flexibility of my job, it makes it you know, easy for me to, I can see him in the morning. I don't have to, to rush off. I typically get up about six 30 each day, spend about an hour and a half with him. Uh, I start my work day. I'm, I'm kind of a traditional eight to five is what I like. So I'll work eight to five with a lunch break. That lunch break typically falls during his nap, which works out nicely. Um, <laughs> and then I get off work at five and hang out with him until I put him to bed at seven. Uh, so we, we share, like I, I try to share the, the parental duties as much as I can, given that I'm, I'm working eight to five. Um, uh, but uh, it's, it, it seems to be working, you know, pretty well. Um, I do have, you can kind of see it in this video, this, this, uh, let's try to see if I get on the camera, this lock on the door I found, it's a little clip that goes on the handle. So he can't open it from the outside. Um, I actually have two dollars to my office. I have to make sure that they're locked closed because if they're not, he will come in uh, during a during a meeting or something. Um, but w- what's been cool about the time of COVID, like the silver lining of this, is that nobody cares if the kid comes in. Everybody's experiencing this right now. Um, I feel like meetings in general these days are less tense. Like I'm not dialing into a boardroom. We're not having to pitch to a bunch of people sitting you know, with their suits on, um, while we're working at home in a t-shirt, uh, you know, um, everybody's dealing with this and, and just like, it's just a bit more chill. Um, everybody's got Bring their kids, you know, it's, it's all right. We're all just people. I, I feel like that's, 
it's been one of the really nice things of having everybody else also work from home for a period of time. It's uh, had that influence. You were you were talking about uh, coordinating meetings with people in the UK when you were in California time and like the time zone difference. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys communicate as a team? Is it all video or you've, mm-hmm. you mentioned Zoom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys handle the asynchronous stuff too? Yeah. So we've been using Zoom for probably five years now. I'm actually the one who evaluated a bunch of different web conferencing software and, and picked it for us um, back in the day. We use the Atlassian tools, Jira and Confluence. Jira's work management. You create tickets, assign them to people to do. Confluence is a wiki, so it's it's documents um, with a lot of other functionality. Uh, and then we use Slack for instant messaging now. Um, and Slack's been a really nice improvement. Before that, we were using uh, HipChat, which was made by Atlassian. And Atlassian decided to to get out of the instant messaging game. They're now a Slack partner instead, or, or they've de- developed a partnership with Slack, like a strategic partnership, they call it. Um, Ad- Adaptus is actually a Slack partner. We do development on Slack apps as well. Um, so combining all these tools, I I think there's a lot of work that it's, it's fine for it to be asynchronous. I really think meetings should be used for... Um, like collaborative decision-making or if we need some brainstorming, but um, I try not to just have meetings for meetings sake. I think a lot of stuff can be done through a confluence page or through Slack. Um, but you know, we've got daily standups and we've got um, other meetings we do over zoom and uh, like today it's a, a Wednesday. One of the things we do on Wednesdays is a, a meeting I call team catch up. It's 45 minutes. My team's not allowed to talk about work. It's just time to spend with each other on Zoom because when you're working remotely, you actually have to be really deliberate about relationship building. You have to be really deliberate about spending time together. Um, And I think that often gets overlooked, but if you don't spend that time to develop that relationship, you don't develop trust. Uh, And if you don't develop trust, then you can't uh, come together as as a a very productive group. You're never going to really be able to improve your productivity. And so sharing some about ourselves, that's not just, here's the work that's being done in the end. Um, it's important to make time for that. And you do this every week. Yeah. So like um, we, it, for those of you who are uh, listening and who are familiar with like agile project management methodology, uh, Scrum um, has this ritual of a daily standup. It's typically recommended to be 15 minutes long. Each person talks about what they did today or what they did yesterday, what they're doing today and blockers. Our online standups are 30 minutes long, which just gives us a little bit more time to talk about like, you know, here's other things going on, just create some space there. Um, we do this weekly catch up for 45 minutes. We do every other week a, a sprint review. We're not actually doing two week sprints or one of my teams is, but another team isn't, but we, we all get together for a review, which is like a show and tell of just, here's what we've worked on. Let me show it to you. Um, and it's just a, like, it's not for critical feedback. It's not like, this is kind of finished work. Let me just show you guys what we're doing. And it helps bring us together and connect us. Um, we do a lot of things as a company, uh, the same way. I don't attend most of these cause I'm too busy, but like there are scheduled coffee breaks where you can dial into zoom and just mm-hmm. sit and have a cup of coffee with people. There are yoga things like lessons going on where you can dial in and like cameras are off, but somebody's demonstrating and walking you through doing yoga we've we've there have been music I sessions like the camera off part yeah yeah <laughs> i've heard that it's a really positive experience people who have attended have really enjoyed it um it's it's like i make time for my team but 
beyond that, I'm, I'm just really busy. So I haven't attended most of these things, but it is one of the things of remote work. It, it can be very lonely. It can be very isolating, particularly for us where our headquarters is in the UK, even though people are working from home, that, that time zone, there's sort of like a gravity well there. And those of us in North America can often feel very disconnected from the rest of the company and from the key decision makers, you know, all the C-level executives. Right. And so creating time is really important. This is something that I've heard multiple people say when I was doing my market research and as I've been doing interviews as well, uh, is feeling like you're going to miss out on opportunities to to expand or to grow mm. or to improve your position. Uh, you said you started off as a consultant. Is that still your title now? No, no. So you're head of education. Yeah. <laughs> right. I. How do you do that? I haven't had that issue. Um. So. I don't know how to say it without being arrogant. Um. I did it by being really good, I think, uh, at what I do. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I mean it with no arrogance. I find it totally perplexing. Like I think of myself as this kid from Southwest Missouri, where when I started working there, it was called Southwest Missouri State University. It was a regional university. And I worked in computer services as a centralized user support specialist. And I ran this stuff. I was promoted to management with the title of lab support administrator, but like kid from Southwest Missouri who did some Atlassian stuff. That's what I think of myself. And uh, I start working at Adaptivist as a consultant. And now I'm working with this multi-billion dollar company that was my client, um, you know, as a consultant. So I, I, I'm employed by Adaptivist, but I'm a consultant working for these other customers that are huge. And they're listening to me. Uh you know, I, I tell them what I think they should do and they do it um, because they're paying a lot of money for my opinion and therefore my opinion has value. Um, hmm. But I also started working with Atlassian directly on some things. So um, Atlassian had a program called Atlassian University to deliver training. I, I delivered some of their training um, for some of our customers. I got invited to deliver training at their summit conference. And so I, I taught classes there at summit, which was a fantastic experience. Uh, in 2016, they launched a certification program. So they wanted to uh, facilitate people taking high stakes certification exams to get certified as a Jira administrator or somebody who does agile development with Jira software. So I was part of the first group to create the blueprints for those certification exams and start writing the questions for them, and the answers for those questions. Um, over the next couple of years, I ended up writing the majority of the questions and answers for those and all the study materials. And we sort of discovered along the way that I was uniquely qualified for this purely by happenstance because hmm. writing these types of materials is really cross-discipline, you know, and I happened to have a lot of history with Atlassian. At that point, I'd been working with the tools for, I don't know, nine or 10 years. Um, so I, I had that historical knowledge. I had the depth of knowledge from, from doing a lot with it and working with customers on it. I knew best practices, having worked with multinational customers and helped them use the tools. Uh, my undergrad is in religious studies, which you wouldn't think would be applicable, but uh, a bachelor's degree in religious studies is a lot of reading and writing and critical thinking and pulling together lots of disparate information to draw new conclusions and then communicating those thoughts concisely. Um, so the writing uh, skills that I gained there were really helpful, uh, for me. And then, then with the masters in project management, which is a lot of working through case studies, 
Atlassian wanted their study materials to be presented as case studies that people worked through. Hmm. And that's not something... And it says here that your master's also had an emphasis in conflict and dispute resolution. Yes. Yeah. Um, So like just this whole weird mix of things kind of made me unique, you know, for for the stuff that I do. Uh, uh, And so back at the the end of 2016, our head of training left. And um, at that time, it was part of operations. So the chief of operations called me and said, hey, we want you to take this this job because you've been doing the certification work, you've been doing the training, you've been doing all this stuff. And and so it seems like a good fit. And I said, ah, I don't want to deliver training as a career. And he said, no, 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 we don't want you to deliver training. We want you to build a training business. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'm, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll think about it. And then an hour later, the CEO called me and said, hey, I want you to take this position. And I said, yeah, but I, I don't want to deliver training as a career. And he said, no, no, we want you to build a training business. Here's, here's what we want. And I said, okay, well, at that point I was going to be in London about two weeks later. Um, and so I created eight pages of bullet points of what I wanted to do. And I met with the COO and with the CEO and gave them my list of things I wanted to accomplish and how I was going to measure success. And they said, yep, sounds good. Write us up a job description, make up a title. And that's what I've been doing since. Um, I think that you know, the, my education, my experience, I've been managing people now for probably over 15 years. The, the education conflict and dispute resolution was tremendously valuable in terms of learning how to really hear people, help them feel validated in what they were saying, um, to understand where they're coming from, to see things from different perspectives, mediating conflict between employees, between their priorities and the business's priorities. Um, negotiating compromise, like that was, that was tremendously valuable. And a lot of education and project management is about ethics of project management and how to make sure you're working ethically. And so, um, it was, it was something I was interested in, but it, it, it almost was also kind of like kismet, like these things just really kind of worked well together. Do you have any advice for people who are nervous about their potential uh, for advancement in a company where uh, most people, if not all people, are remote, yeah, especially during this I do. year when people are unexpectedly at home? Yeah. Over the last few years, one of the things I've seen that has worked consistently is you have got to advocate for yourself. You you have you have to be like, especially if it doesn't come naturally, it will feel brazen and it will feel uncomfortable. <laughs> But if, if you don't toot your own horn, if you don't advertise what you're doing, no one will know, no one sees you. Um, and so like, and I know that's not really your personality type. It's just being people's faces. Like as a friend, you're more introverted. I'm super introverted. Um, I can go weeks without talking to people before it starts to bother me. I, I struggle with it and I really like being behind the scenes. That's where I prefer to work. But with this type of thing, you know, it, it uh, you've got to. Um, so like one of the things I do at my company, I send out a, a kind of like a monthly newsletter. Every month I write up a blog post on our intranet. Here's what our teams have been doing this month. I send an email to the company like, here's what we're doing. Here's what's going on. Here's what we've delivered. Um, and, you know, I've had to have this talk with my bosses a few times over the years. So just, I will just ask them, where do you see my career going? Here's where I see it. And here's what I want. And it's really hard to say, here's what I want. But the thing I found 
Uh, and I think this is maybe counterintuitive to a lot of people because they feel like, oh, if you're pushing, it's going to make people uncomfortable. They're not going to like it. Um, I find people really respect that. Uh, similarly, one of the things I know people struggle with is saying no. Oh, if I say no, if I turn down things, it's, it's you know, they're going to think I can't deliver. I can't do the job. 100% of the time, my experience has been when you say no, people respect you more. Um, if it's with good reason, if it's because oh. like, you're delivering on something else. You've got these priorities. And if you say it's it's a, a no, but, you know, here are the priorities. If we change things, it's fine. And so, you know, especially when I have an idea of what I want to do and I, I am fairly introspective and I reflect on like, what do I enjoy? One of the conversations I had with my bosses earlier this year was I want to work more at a strategic level across our product portfolio to look at where we're going over the next 12 to 18 months, set quarterly goals with the people below me, and then have them handle the day-to-day work. I can do the day-to-day work and the day-to-day management. I've been doing it for a long time, but we need someone as a company who's tying all of this together across 30 products uh, with an eye towards education. What is our education strategy? How do we help our users better understand how to use our products? And how do we make all this work together and be consistent? And how do we prioritize one over the other? And I could do that. And I want to do that. Now, what we need to do is set up the infrastructure that allows it. We've got to get the right people in the right places that frees up my time to allow me to do that. And so- It sounds as though you've kind of created this. Do you have other people that you can collaborate with at the same level or is that- uh, Not really. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've, in one sense, I would say I've been my own boss for a long time. Um, and I have a great boss at Adaptivist now. I, I love working for him. But um, when I was at the university, I had like a lot of work assigned to me I had to do. That's why I had to work all the hours. But like I, there was no micromanagement. Like I, I did my stuff. I set my priorities. I figured out how to do it. I teach myself everything. Um, day to day, I mean, my boss had no idea what I was doing. He knew I was delivering. He, he saw the outcomes. The outcomes were what mattered. Um, when I started as a consultant, I was working with this one customer. I brought in my next several customers and I, I brought them in and I figured out the contracts and I built up the business and I took it from being four day engagements to six to eight to 12 month engagements and built this up and closed it down and and moved it out. And so like, again, I was just managing my work and, and with my current position as head of education, it's the same thing. I had a vision of what I wanted us to do. I've built it. Uh, and, and moved it forward. And I, I still have to, I have to get buy-in. Um, but I kind of describe education with an adaptivist that almost, it, it sort of began like a startup with our CEO funding it by paying me and letting me build a team. But it's like, I've been running this little startup inside of adaptivist, um, for a while. And now we've really kind of hit a level of maturity, uh, across the business. That's, that's exciting to see. And so now I'm, I'm pushing to take that next step, but so for the people who are nervous or that they don't feel, I think first off, you've got to advocate for yourself. You've got to talk about what you're doing. You've got to make it visible. You've got to record it and write it down. You've got to bring it up at least annually, but I think it's better for it to be every three to six months, like a quarterly type thing um, is good of, of putting out. Like I said, I do it monthly. I say, here's everything we're working on because it's a ton of stuff. Um, but then having a clear idea of where you want to go. Um, and it's all about going to something, not going away from something. So like, I know where I want to go. I know how we can get there and I can describe that. And I think that's been a big part of my career success. 
So I'm going to change gears with you like okay. really a lot. <laughs> I've been asking everyone about their home office set, sit, mm-hmm. situation, their home office setup. Um, I can see you said your your room has mm-hmm. two doors and you keep them locked. So I take it you're not in a high traffic area. Can you tell us how do you decide how to mm-hmm. set up your home office? Okay. And are, are, are there any tools that you use in there that are especially helpful or that have yeah. made your life so, easier? I, I've mentioned I've been at Adaptus for six years. Before this at the university, I had to occasionally work from home. I did have kind of like a home office at our old house. Um, it was kind of high traffic, like it was right inside the front door on the left there. It had two doors. One was to the living room, one was to the master bedroom. The house was kind of like a circle um, of doorways. And so like it was okay. Um, it wasn't ideal. Um, it didn't have a closet. It didn't have storage space. It was just this weird little room. So when we were buying a new house, we, we decided to move. One of the things I looked for was a home office. I knew that was important to me. Um, this door is actually to the kitchen. Um, so, you know, kind of high traffic, but the other side is to a hallway. And um, things I was looking for in a home office was that it, it you know, had to have doors that close and ideally would lock, that it, it, it wouldn't be super loud. Um, needed to have enough space. I really wanted a, a good amount of space in here. So I've actually got like a little sofa over to that side that I'll occasionally sit on with a laptop. Um, I have a TV mounted on the wall here. Um, for for gaming. gaming or watching <laughs> TV, I've got a rowing machine in here. And so I will, I will row. I was actually rowing during a meeting on Monday because it was a meeting I was passive in. I was just listening and watching. And I was like, let's do some exercise while I do this. Um, camera, uh, yeah, off? camera was off, um, but I was just, you know, growing. one of our other employees, he's got a, um, a treadmill desk. So like you will see, he'll have his camera on and you'll see him walking during meetings. Um, I, as you can tell, I'm standing, uh, one of the best investments I made a couple of years ago, this was relatively new, but I got a, an electric, you push a button and the desk goes up and down. Um, tremendously helpful. Um, I, I have a, a bit of scoliosis and I struggle with sciatica and being able to go back and forth between standing and sitting throughout the day. It's been tremendously helpful. Um, I, my husband just mm-hmm. got one, and I have been totally taking my laptop out yeah. there and standing at his desk. Sometimes I'm standing there while he's working, and he's like, "This is probably not going to work long term. Do yeah, on your own." <laughs> it has been really, really good. I did a bunch of research on standing desks before I got them. I wanted one that like would last a long time that would be very stable because I knew we're going to have small kids. They're going to grab and they're going to pull. I need it to be really stable, so I. Um, did a bunch of research on that. I've got a really nice chair, uh, office chair that, um, I've got a, um, steel case leap V2, um, that I bought several years ago. And that's cause I will, there will be days I'm sitting here for 12 hours a day. Um, I try not to sit 12 hours straight now, mm-hmm. I try to stand. So like my home office is I've got art on the walls. It's painted these dark colors because that's, that's what I like. Like this is other people were like, Oh, that's your man cave. And I'm like, I, I guess, but like, it's, this is, this is like this is my place. This is, this is my kind of sanctuary at the same time. I have to get out of here. <laughs> I, I try to never eat lunch in here. I've got to go to the living room. I've got to go to somewhere else in the house. Um, I really miss going to coffee shops. I wouldn't do it very often, but once every couple of weeks, two to three weeks, I would go to a coffee shop for just an hour or two while working, just like getting out a little bit was nice. I missed that. Um, so I, I, I love my home office. I think it's good to have a space. I think it you you also that you have to get out of it. At the end of the day, you you, you need a transition of some sort. Um, 
to to get out of that headspace of working. So what is your secret to limiting yourself to 40 hours a week? Because I know a lot of people, when they work from home, they feel like they need mm -hmm. to prove to their boss or to their company that they actually, well, I guess it can go both ways. Some people are trying to get by with as little amount of work as possible. They're like, right. you know, <laughs> I only work four hours this week, but I got all my work stuff. How do you find that balance and how do you keep from getting burnt out even yeah, in those 40 so hours? Um, I think there's sort of two things there. One, in terms of the like, I could only work four hours this week and I got my stuff done in the end. I think part of career advancement is I do 40 hours. I'm, I'm efficient. I get a lot done, but that's how you, you grow your career is you demonstrate you're able to do a lot with the time you've got. Um, so I think there are weeks I could work fewer hours and I just, I find other things to do and I get, I, I make progress on that. Um, these days though, I, I mean, I, until recently I had eight different hats. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get some new people on the teams and reduce that, but there's, there's an unlimited amount of work to do. And the only way I know and what works for me, and I know it doesn't work for everybody, but it's just self-discipline. It's just, I try really hard to not start before eight. Um, I have no work notifications on my phone. Uh, I, I've started, like, I don't carry my phone around the house. I don't try not to look at it. Um, I've stopped using my iPad as much because there's just like, it's so easy to click on Slack. I've got the apps installed because I need them sometimes. It's so easy to click on email and see if anything has come in. And like, oh, I'm just going to check this and archive some things. Um, so these days, like I will carry my Kindle around the house. Oh, I have a few minutes here. You know what? I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read for a few minutes like that. I got a few minutes. I'm going to get a Facebook. Nope. I'm just going to read a book. Um, I, you know, 5 p.m. Now I've got a toddler. He he has to see me at 5 p.m. So like that, that actually helps a little bit with like forcing the stop. But, um, but it's just kind of self-discipline and it is helpful with my particular company on weekends. I don't get emails. Nobody else is working, but during the week, it's kind of 24 hours. Like we've, we're now opening offices in Kuala Lumpur. And so it's the exact opposite time zone. Um, I, you, you could work late tonight. You could, I could get up at four in the morning and start working. There'd be people active. Um, you just have to set a boundary and, and live by it and, and kind of force respect. I do start early some days, actually the next two days I'm starting with 7am meetings. It happens, you know, but. Is that because yeah, of the time zone yeah. difference? Um, I've, I've got a team in Madrid I'm working with now. They finish work at 3pm their time, which is 8am my time. To meet with Madrid, I got to start at seven um, or six sometimes, but then right. I take off early. Yeah. And then I take day. off early that day. You know, yeah. I'll take off at two or three in the afternoon and, and that's fine. So it's really just self-discipline. I think there's also the other, the other tip is um, recognizing how it would be if you were in an office and then just having grace for yourself. So one of the things I really struggled with when I started working for Adaptivist is I was used to thinking in like 15 minute increments. So if I took a few minutes to go like do something in another room or to use the restroom, I'd be like, well, now I need to work till 5.15. Now I need to work till 5.30. And it, it took a little bit oh. for me to go, if I was in an office, I wouldn't be staying till 5.30. Like that. Just yeah. But working yeah. at home, like you start to feel like if I'm not at this computer. And I apologize for those of you who are listening. You may be hearing this in the background my lawn is being mowed right now, which is one of my, my, uh, things I paid for for myself in terms of getting time back. I have somebody who mows my lawn, 
uh, which saves me an hour a week that I can spend on other things. Um, I think a lot about time value and an opportunity cost of time. Taking care of the lawn was one of those big ones for me. Um, so, you know, giving yourself some grace of like, if I was in an office and I went and got a snack from the break room or I stood at somebody's desk for 10 minutes or something, I wouldn't be staying here until 5.30. You don't have to stay at your computer until 5.30 either. And again, drawing boundaries and communicating them clearly and like getting your job done, everyone has always respected. I've not had a problem with it, particularly with consulting. Um, I know consultants who do a bad job of that and their customers totally take advantage of it. And will get really demanding and and say like do this all the time and i've like i know people who have tried to do their own you know work from home like personal assistant business or things like that and they end up working all hours whenever i've had a customer i go in as a consultant and i say i work eight to five monday through friday if you want more you pay more uh but this is what i do and this is the boundary every time they've gone okay i get it you draw clear boundaries and and people respect that it's it's it hasn't been a problem for me Wow, this has been great. Thank you so much, Matthew. Is there, uh, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything that would be helpful for people who are just getting started yeah, off? Yeah, I mean, that one's, that one's tricky because it kind of depends on the, the industry. I think something that, that's equally applicable for everybody is, and, and it's the last thing I said, people aren't going to respect you if you don't respect yourself. And you have to communicate your respect for yourself. If you want to advance in your career, that's true if you're in an office or if you're remote. But if you, you have to recognize that what you're doing provides value. Like that's why they're paying you. It's the same thing I say when we're looking to hire somebody and we're interviewing them. And I, um, you know, I always communicate, we're interviewing you, but you're interviewing us too. Like you have to decide, Mm -hmm. are we worth your time? Are we worth your effort? Because your time and effort have value. And if you don't recognize that and you don't communicate that, no one else is going to get that. Uh, you, you've got to advocate for yourself. So I think working on some self-esteem stuff and like building that up will make you so much more successful, whether you're in an office or, or you're, you're working remotely. It's, it's equally applicable. Wise words. Thank you so much. We're going to call it and I will see you next time. This is an exciting week here for us at Yes, I Work From Home. Our podcast has officially been accepted on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places you can find your podcasts. Go ahead and go to our website if you're interested in seeing the transcript, the video, www.yesiworkfromhome.com forward slash podcast. There you can also find a button that if you're interested in being an interview guest on our show, you can fill that out and let us know a little bit about you, what you do, who you help, and why you want to be on the show. See you next time. Thank you so much.